Hello! Hi! Welcome to Truly Fabulously Monstrous. A podcast about true crime and cryptids. I'm your slightly tired host, Hattie James. I am your other host, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Hattie. Okay, so we decided last episode that we're doing the whatever, and if people really want to know what this episode, what this podcast is about, they can go look at when we described the format in a past episode, right? Yes. Okay. Also, isn't it in the in our like header description? Well, that just has a podcast about true crime and cryptids, but like how we do the okay. different episode, we instead of like merging it into one. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Okay, um, so you, last episode, on the Tuesday episode, gave us a wonderfully sad, um, telling of the squonk. Yes, it was, it was short, but it was sad. It was, you know, short and sweet to the point. I don't know if mine's going to be. Don't forget sad. It's okay, because mine is anticlimactic. So you had the the short right. and sad, <laughs> and I have the anticlimactic. But this is important <laughs> because this is a Vermont crime. Nice. And I first read about this in a book called Mischief in the Mountains. I love I love the name of that book. That's a great name. Yes, it is an anthology of various different crimes, lore. And generally spooky <laughs> from Vermont Life magazine in Montpelier, Vermont. Uh, the anthology is edited by Walter R. Hard Jr. and Janet C. Green, and illustrated by Jane Clark Brown. It has these like really good like wood etching drawings of the um of like the events, pretty much. And oh, cool! And the first chapter of this book is okay. I got, I'm going to stop and say that I read this a while ago, had the idea for it, um, and I I know this story like the back of my hand, except I'm mm-hmm. not good with dates and names. So I went back to go get it, and I thought this was one of Joseph A. Citro's many books. So I'm perusing and scouring through the library for probably 35 minutes looking for and i thought it was called mystery in the mountains <laughs> looking, for, <laughs> looking for a book well, I mean, that would make sense too yeah. like that's if it's about like crimes and such yeah so i'm but i'm scouring for a good 35 minutes for mystery in the mountains by joseph a citro and i find a bunch of other books and i find some that i can use for my cryptid next week and i'm like okay and i found it actually really uh good book that i didn't know by joseph a citro called cursed new england story of stories of damned yankees <laughs> but not the musical right no. <laughs> i love joseph a citro but i i went up to the counter and i said to the librarian i'm like yeah i couldn't find the book i was looking for and it looks like and i googled it and it doesn't look like it exists and i'm i'm scared that it was a fever dream and she goes, well, what was it? I was like, Mystery in the Mountains by Joseph Citro. And her eyes widened. She's like, I have that book at home. It's not Joseph Citro. I know. And like, oh, I can't think of the name of it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And we have it in this library. And then together we were able to remember the name of it. And then she was like, oh, no, it's in our Vermont room. 
I was like, you haven't, wait, wait, I'm sorry. There's a remote room in this library? And she's like, yeah, it's an entire room that's just Vermont references, old Vermont newspapers, books on Vermont, um, like history from Vermont, like books written by Vermont authors. I get so excited when libraries do stuff like that. Like we have a whole section. We have our New Jersey section. (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh... Oh no! I fell in love with that um that section, and I found the book. Um, but I just want to do a shout out to that um that librarian because she was awesome, and she was that seemed like nice. she genuinely seemed to like be excited for me being excited, and I like that in librarians. Yay! I love li- I I I strive to be that kind of librarian. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyways, so I I know this is kind of like the back of my hand. Uh, and I just used the I re-rented Mischief in the Mountains to get the the names and dates Um, I probably don't do it any justice but I'm just going to start Okay. so the story starts uh, on a September night in 1886 in the town of Chester, Vermont so there was a company called the Adams and David Company and this night they were broken into and money was taken from the safe oh no the constable hen- named Henry Bond led the investigation because there were no real police in Vermont back in 1886. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I know we keep referencing that John Mulaney bit about <laughs> solving crimes, but seriously, what was a murder investigation like back in 1886? What was a burglary investigation like in 1886? Well, back to my hunch. No, literally, this dude, uh, he questioned all the hoodlums and 'er ne'er-do-wells in the town of Chester, and then went, well, can't find him. (laughs) So, yeah, so he... (laughs) Well, that's that. Moving on. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Like, he just questioned a bunch of people and then was like, well... Don't know what to do or tell you. I guess it, people in like northern northern Vermont sound like some weird amalgamation of like New England, Boston, and the Louisiana. <laughs> Bad enough we can't pronounce that's, mountains. What's well, gonna be like? That's the area where you can use like a eighteen contraction word involving yaldiv. 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 <laughs> Yeah, no. I actually used that in a sentence the other day, and all my coworkers in the immediate vicinity were just like, "I'm going to throw a book at your head <laughs> if you don't stop." Oh, I was like, "Hey, hey, hey! That is grammatically correct." Yeah. When <laughs> so um, no, my my favorite thing to talk about when because when I was down in um when I was down in the south. And people would pick on my Yankee accent. And they were like, why don't you pronounce your T's up north? And I'm like, that's not a, a, a north thing. That's a Vermont thing. We just don't pronounce <laughs> our T's. Like Vermont, Mountain, um, the town of Swanton, <laughs> the town of St. Albans, uh, St. Johnsbury. I saw I can't think of anything else. Any other examples up the top of my head right now? Milton. Oh. There's a town called Milton. It's M-I-L-T-O-N. Milton. (laughs) Ain't nobody got time for T's in here. No, but when you take that, and then you got people like, I'm a redneck. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm here from uh, Vermont. Ring (laughs) Mountains. 
Well, yeah, that's fine. I question these hoodlums and I just can't find anyone now. Nope, Chester. I don't know who the Chester burglar is. The end. That's my story. Case. The case closed. <laughs> no, long. Starting with that burglary in September of 1886, the town of Chester fell victim to a string of burglaries. Uh-oh. Almost every business on the main street in Chester, Vermont, and several businesses in surrounding Chester towns, like Springfield, Vermont, fell victim. And there were a couple of businesses that were hit more than once. Uh, the Adams and Davids was burgled at least twice. That's the first one was burgled more than that. Um, there was the Waterman's Mill, which was repeatedly broken into, as well as uh, Ware and Sons and the Burdett Brothers. Now, these three specialized in farming equipment oh, and farming oh. supplies like grains, feed, uh, seed, um, like plow bits, you know? I was going to say, the grain and stuff I could see being fairly easy to burgle, but like farming equipment? Well, please. That's got to have some heft to it. I don't think you can subtly steal that. <laughs> well, you see, farming? <laughs> What's that under your trench coat there, son? Uh, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Definitely not farming tools. Why Why am I clanking, you ask? <laughs> no reason. It's a birth defect. How dare oh, you? No. Well, okay. <laughs> The farming supplies, it's funny you said that because my next paragraph starts with the farming supplies were not the only thing this burglar preyed on. This criminal literally stole whatever. There was an old furniture store called Walker's Furniture Store that sold bicycles for some reason. I don't know why bicycles were sold at a furniture store, but you know what? I didn't live in Chester, Vermont in 1886, so I can't, maybe it's because it was so rural. Regardless, they've got this brand new bougie bike. At the time, bicycles were typically the ones you see in Gilded Age wood etchings, where, like, there was one small tire and one, like, absolute unit of a tire. I love yeah. those. The don't they have, like, a really dumb name? I don't know. All I know is... Oh, I'm, g I'm gonna okay. look it up. It is Weird turn of the... Penny farthings. Yes. Uh the high-wheeled ones were called penny okay. farthings. At the time, penny farthings seemed to be the, the typical <laughs> ones. And they got... They are so yeah. dumb. But that's not what this was. This was the new, safe, bougie bicycle that was... Both wheels were the same size. Okay, so it's going to be really obvious who stole it because not everyone's going to be... Yes, a burglar broke... So they'll, be, they'll see a guy using it and be like, Oh, you stole that. You'd think... <laughs> It was it was worth seventy five dollars, was what the the guy who owned Walker's Furniture Store was selling it for. Oh, but he didn't get to sell it because some dude broke in through a window and took it. <laughs> just, um, oh, this is this is just this is r ridiculous. Okay, I just need to stop and say this. He for some reason really liked to target the general store owned by James Pollard, uh, because this dude's store was broken into six times in a 16 year period oh yeah at this point i should probably mention the crimes occurred between 1886 and 1902 this this small town was what? plagued with multiple frequent burglaries for 16 years it can't possibly have been the same uh, people aha uh -huh. ho ho let me ah uh, this <sighs> The burglar didn't just attack businesses. George Allen was a really well-off farmer, and he recently made, like, mad money 
selling a cow. And by mad money, I mean $1,500 in the late 1800s. That would be a lot yes. of well, money now. He, him and his wife woke up to a gun in their face. Um, oh, oh no. As somebody stole that money and ransacked oh, their house. But but their cow well, money. Too bad. It's gone. Um. So at this point... So now they're out a cow yes. and also all that money. Um, it's okay, they're well off. <laughs> anyway, uh, so like I said, no freaking police department. So the board of selectmen, in lieu of a legitimate police force, put up a $500 reward for anyone who gave information that resulted in the capture of the burglar. Burglar. Burglarer? What is the proper term? <laughs> of the thief. Of the thief. Um... Plural of it's burglar. not plural. It's the um, uh, is it burglar? It's only one dude. Bur- I just don't know how to burglar. pronounce it. Yeah. I have a speech impediment, Bur- Kevin. Bur- burglar. Bur- okay. Burglar. Uh, so do I. <laughs> burglar. Well, okay, burglar because I always used to say burglar, but there's burglar. no extra okay. a. Burglar. So the board of selectmen, in lieu of a legit police force, put up a five hundred dollar reward for anyone who gave information that resulted in the capture of the burglar. In order to sweeten the deal, the guy who at the time was the first selectman of the board of selectmen, Clarence <laughs> Adams, um, he added an additional $100 of his own money to get the reward. You know? So he added, so oh. now the reward was $600. So Charles Waterman, who was the dude that owned the Waterman mill uh, that kept getting broken into, took it upon himself to investigate how his mill kept getting broken into. <laughs> It's yeah. just so Well, he realized that the culprit would remove all the locks on his door, burgle the place, and then systematically put all the locks back onto the door and relock them. That's That was when he wasn't genius, like actually. When when he, Okay. This guy, I'll get to it in a minute. He will but yeah, that that's the point. But after a few break-ins he had the first selectman, um, again, Clarence Adams, go to check on the place himself. He then told uh, Mr. Adams, you know, I think we really need a watchman. Clarence Adams was like, oh, no, yeah, that's a, that's a really good idea. They, um, you know, they got some pull and they got a watchman to patrol the area, focusing on the mill and the business district. And finally, finally, the burglary stopped. So eventually, um, Waterman, who was funding this, you know, it was like, oh, okay, okay, I'm just not going to pay for it anymore. We're fine. We're safe. So almost immediately, the right. burglary started again. <laughs> At one oh point, the pharmacist F.W. Pierce started selling guns for protection so that people could, like, arm themselves. And then his pharmacy was broken into and all oh. the guns were stolen. I don't condone stealing, but that, yeah, okay, you do you. You know, the guy who owned the general store that got broken into six times? He spent buku bucks on this, like, really, at the time, high-tech alarm system and rigged it to every door and window, except, like, except the one that was, like, really high up in, like, an obscure closet. And that same night, the exact same night, he installed the burglary system. (laughs) Oh, so, yeah, 
So this guy liked uh, uh, Waterman, again, because he's still on the case. He's like, people get broken into. My mill's been... Grain's been being stole from my mill. What's going on? So he was still sleuthing, and instances such as the, um, you know, the guy climbing into the one window that wasn't alarm rigged and, you know, the meticulously removing the locks, he got to thinking, you know, this guy's looking for something in- ingenuitive. He's looking for... He's looking for something that's difficult. He doesn't want to do anything that's obvious and easy. So, you know, he, right. <laughs> this got Waterman thinking. And he realized that he needed to set up a trap that would very obviously push the burglar to do something dumb. So he devised a booby trap that he believed <laughs> would work. Okay, you see? <laughs> you need, okay, listen, Kevin. Just listen. I'm listening. What he did was he found a window in his mill that was so out of the way that no one would even think that they needed to protect it. What he landed on was a window that was 15 feet above the wa- the railway facing downstream, where the only way to get to it, for lack of a non-modern term, was to parkour from the roof of a shed nearby onto the windowsill. So once he selected, and he's like, I think that's where he's going to break into my mill next. Once he did that, and he selected, he's like, this is the window. This is what I'm doing. He set up a comically ingenious device. So July 29th, 1902. That's our story, okay? okay? Waterman positioned a shotgun so the barrel was facing the window. He loaded it with number eight buckshot. Tied a string oh, to the trigger, no. set the string up in a pulley, um, and then attached the other side of the string to the window so that upon opening the window, it would make the string go taut, the trigger would be pulled, and the person opening the window would be shot. It's a saw trap. He made a saw yes. trap. Oh and God. it's very clear that Waterman suspected that someone deep in Chester's social circle was involved because literally the only person he told he was doing this to was his son, Gardner. So oh. he rigged up the system. July 29th, and that night he had to go to a school board function, and he left Gardner with his parents, so Gardner and Gardner's grandparents were at their place across from, across the road from the mill. About all the, all the mischief in the mountain says is halfway through the evening, my guess is like, sorry, vague. What? (laughs) I said that's very vague. My guess is, okay, it's, so it's July in Vermont, uh, sun doesn't set till about six, seven. Sun's so that's around evening. I'm gonna say it was seven o'clock. All right. So around seven o'clock, Gardner and his grandparents heard a loud crack. So Gardner went running to get his father, who accompanied him to see if the plan worked. And sure enough, the window was open, the gun had gone off, and there was blood on the windowsill. Oh. But that's not the only crime that might have happened that night. You know, there was the attempted break-in. But at around right. ten that night, someone reported that Clarence Adams. Do you remember the the first the old first selectman who like issued the reward? That he yeah. he was attacked. He was attacked mm-hmm. that night. Oh, uh, oh. The unidentified Samaritan said that Adams was soaked in blood, claiming that he had been mugged, shot, and that he needed a doctor. So the town was understandably horrified. I mean, not only did the burglar have no intention of stopping as he attempted to rob the watermill again, but a well-respected leader of the community was attacked too. I mean, for God's sake, when the doctors 
When the doctors Wait. performed surgery on Mr. Clarence Adams, they had to remove 80 pieces of number eight buckshot from his thigh, which as you can expect, now, was a really a bad injury. <laughs> was no one safe? Was no one in this town free from the dangers of crime? Now wait just I a second. I think you know where this is going. I did not see this coming. <laughs> I honestly didn't. So, what the heck? Okay, I'm gonna... Okay, so soon the town officials... You know, no police, the constable, pretty much. The constable, the board of selectmen, and a few <laughs> volunteers realized that something fishy was happening. And Clarence Adams' story didn't make sense because he said that he was shot in his buckboard. And for those who don't know, a buckboard is a horse-drawn carriage. It's not like the big, illustrious, elaborate ones you see. It's like literally like a board with wheels. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'll I'll will post a picture on the Instagram of a uh, buckboard. I'll I'll look it up. Okay, so, so he said that he was shot in his buckboard. Oh, good lord! Not only was there no splatter or buckshot in the buckboard, but the pool of blood and the the blood smearing made them think that it's somebody who entered the carriage already uh, wounded. Huh? You scoundrel! Adams, you scoundrel! So before long, Clarence Adams was charged with the burglaries. Now, it should be noted that this was a big frickin' deal. They're, like, okay, so there were many people in the, in the town of Chester with the last name Adams. Okay. So, when people started hearing that Clarence Adams was being charged with the burglaries, they were like, no, it must be another Clarence Adams, because <laughs> the only one they knew was res so respectable and of such a high pedigree that he would never commit a crime so just to be sure the high constable a few selectmen and a handful of volunteers because there's no police went to mr adams's um property to do a search they found bags upon bags of grain from the waterman mill guns from the pharmacy various pieces of farming equipment loot bags and boxes full of just all sorts of stuff that was reported stolen over 16 years and hanging from a tree was a rusted safety bike you know the kind with the two equally sized wheels she just hung it from a tree yeah and since it'd been so long it was all rusted and nice what a waste what was he gonna? What was he going to do? Ride it? What? Ride it through this small Vermont you town? You take it to like another town <laughs> and you sell it. That's what you do. Well, this is the thing. Clarence Adams was such a respectable person that at one point he was on the Vermont State Legislature. Okay. And at one point there were some burglaries in Montpelier, and they found things that still had the name of a store that was burgled in Montpelier the same week that the Vermont House was open back when he was a legislative member. <laughs> oh my god. So he was just robbing up places everywhere. He really was. And this isn't like, okay, somebody steals a $75 bike, people are like, wait a minute, <laughs> this was stolen from the furniture store in Chester. So no, he just hung it from a tree. <laughs> now, a little bit about Mr. Adams. Uh, he came from what's called a pioneer family. And that means, like, his family moved to Vermont 
in the beginnings of Vermont before Vermont was a state. Oh, okay. Like, so he, his family was like, it's not like, oh, like I'm a third generation Vermonter myself. Like the, he, he was such a, a Vermonter. His family was such a Vermonter that it was, it surpassed just being generations. His family always lived in Vermont. Uh-huh. Um, Like his grandfather fought in the war, you know, he was practically born with a silver spoon in his mouth because his family was well off and prosperous. Uh, he was an avid reader and dreamed of traveling, but his parents need for him to tend the farm and help as they grew older, as well as the fact that in rural Chester in the late 18, early 1900s, they, they considered reading um, to be socially deviant as young men were expected to help on the farm and get a job to support their family and not waste their time reading. Oh, well, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a big social deviant then. Um, Murder, technology bad, pirate scary. Thomas Edison was a witch. Yes, well, the last one's true. Um, Thomas Edison was a... okay. I have opinions about Thomas Edison. The fuck it. I have I, same, same. Um, so he really wanted to be a detective, but his parents refused to allow him to pursue this dream. But, so, in all likelihood, like, he had everything. He was not robbing for money. Okay, he was in it for the thrill, then. He was in it for the thrill, and on top of that, do you want to know what his absolute favorite book was? Oh, sure, tell me. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So he was a fanboy, is what you're saying. How much do you think he loved the fact that he was a well-respected leader of the community and also secretly Chester's most wanted and hated criminal. How much do you think that just got his jimmies off? Oh, good goodness. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, I'm not going to waste your time and bore you with the details of the trial. I will say that people in the community still could not believe that, that it, you know, he could have done this. So, right. when... They when the the courts were like uh three thousand dollars bail remember nineteen oh two three thousand dollars bail it's a lot of money yeah one of the store owners was like you know what I'm going to go on bond to get you out because I believe in you mistake yes August fourteenth nineteen oh two he was convicted of larceny and sentenced to ten years in the Windsor State Prison oh goodness. So, throughout the next year and a half, Adams was granted all the amenities prisoners in Vermont in the early 1900s were granted, such as unsupervised visits with friends and friendly relationships <laughs> with the, the doctors and orderlies. <laughs> we're sentencing you to jail, but don't worry, you can leave anytime. No, no, he, his, his, he couldn't leave. His uh, friends had to come visit him, but they were like, oh yeah, oh, sure. Oh, okay. We'll just close the door and give you two Party privacy. Yeah. So one of his frequent visitors was a friend named William Dunn. When I first read it, I had a dyslexic moment that it said William Penn, and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> Tying it back to Pennsylvania. Yeah, no. Uh, William Dunn uh, was one of his frequent visitors. Uh, however, in February of 1904, February 22nd to be exact, Clarence fell gravely ill. He was complaining that he was sick, all these other ailments, uh, which is not unusual for people in vermont in the early 1900s in the winter because our winters be brutal yeah they sure do yeah so he was rushed to the prison hospital and while they couldn't physically find anything wrong with him he was 
claiming that his symptoms were worsening and he was growing graver and graver and he was like, I'm going to die tomorrow. I'm going to die soon. And he, like, had somebody draw up his last will and testament, which he wanted the body to be prepared by the orderly, who happened to be his friend. And then he wanted his body to promptly be given to his friend, William Dunn. And just as he predicted, on February 26, 1904, he died. Oh. His will was followed, and the orderly friend prepped his body, did all the stuff that you're supposed to, which is wash the body, shave the body, stick cotton balls in the nose and ears to prevent anything gross from leaking out, wrapped him delicately in a shroud, placed him in a box, and then William Dunn came by with a shipping truck, and the people were like, wait, what are you here? He's like, oh, I'm here to to collect um Clarence's body as per his will, and they're like, we didn't tell you he died yet. So he said, oh, well, um, he wrote to me a few days ago and explained he was dying and that he'd be dead by the 26th, so to be here. And they went, oh, okay, here's his body. Uh, orderly, why don't you load it into the car? And they put it in the car and they brought him to Cabot Funeral Parlor to be embalmed. Um, his body lay there uh, for the night before being transferred to the Adams Mausoleum until the ground thawed that spring. Case closed. Everyone lived happily ever after. Just kidding. He wasn't uh, dead, was he? We don't know. Because, you see, a salesperson from Chester went to Montreal for a business deal and ran into Mr. Adams at a hotel up there. They had a conversation and everything. I'm sorry, what? Then, reports came down to Vermont (laughs) that Clarence had been seen living the life in Nova Scotia. All of a sudden, everyone was seeing him everywhere in Canada, in northern Vermont, in... He's D.B. Cooper before D.B. Yeah. Cooper was In D. New Cooper. Hampshire, in Massachusetts, in <laughs> Maine, he, like everywhere in New England and Canada, pretty much. And it got to the point where, like, rumors were flying. Hearst newspapers was, like, releasing stories all the time of new sightings of this person to the point where they're like, okay, an investigation needs to be done. We need to go into the mausoleum and we need to do an investigation. So they were going to have Sexton Sanders uh, go into Chester to do the examination. Except bad storms kept delaying and delaying and delaying to the point when he finally got there in April. um, uh, Sexton Sanders and Kevin Adams, who was Clarence's cousin, um, opened the tomb, viewed Clarence, and agreed it was him. Sanders allegedly said, it looks like Adams as much as any corpse sitting above ground for two months could. <laughs> so they decided, yep, okay. They said it looks like Clarence Adams. We're going to say it's Clarence Adams. We're going to bury the body and case closed. To this day, to this day, no one knows if Clarence Adams died or if he faked his death. <sighs> yeah. Good so Lord. TLDR, <laughs> local hero, actually villain, responsible for almost two decade crime rave prior to even police force, possibly fakes his own death in rural Vermont, 1904, due to lack of modern science, which prevents us from knowing the truth. And That's that is the story of ride. Clarence Adams, the gentleman burglar of Chester. <laughs> The gentleman yeah. burglar. Oh my god. <laughs> I can just imagine standing there being like, that is the worst superhero <laughs> name ever. <laughs> yeah. The gentleman burglar. Intense. Like camping. <laughs> yeah. 
I love it though. It oh, was, God. Oh, yeah, that's that one of Lamont's most like wildest unsolved mysteries, in my opinion. Oh my gosh, I just opened this up and found a bookmark I left in this last time I rented the book out. Wild! <laughs> Wild. Because I just opened up to a random page and it's like, oh look, there's a scrap piece of paper with the letterhead of the place I was working the last time I rented this out. <laughs> it's like a time capsule. It is. With me being the only one renting out this absolutely wild book for some reason. Well, you're giving it circulation stats. That means they can't weed it from the collection. I think when my um, library weeds things out, I at least like to hope that they do it, like put it on a rack. And if I ever see this thing on a rack, I'm going to take it. <laughs> like, this is mine now, you heathen. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was my um, absolutely wild story from my home state. Well, I loved it. It was it was a great story, and it, I see. I, I'm just I'm still I'm still mad about the bike. What you didn't even ride it? You're selfish, selfish. Somebody else could have ridden it that was bike a and challenge. enjoyed it. And it was a challenge. Steal this bike challenge. <laughs> don't start that challenge. No, bad challenge. Don't do it. Just stick to the no. Oh no. My favorite is the he had to like parkour to get to some I just I love it's wild. There's nothing about it that it's it's anticlimactic, but it's wild. And remind me again, and how old was he? This was like a span of like twenty some years, right? It was sixteen years. Uh let me look up. Um Okay. it's like, was he like climb? Was he? I'm just gonna scale the side of this building, or was he like, I'm gonna rig up this elaborate pulley system? <laughs> Here's my grappling hook. <laughs> That's not right. That's his 1884. I doubt he was two years old when the first burglary was committed. <laughs> it doesn't say. It just says D question mark 1904. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my god. Okay, I found at one point, and I need to refind it, it was actually a, because remember, he was a scholar, or wanted to be a scholar. Yes. He couldn't really be a scholar in rural Vermont, but he he wrote into a Massachusetts newspaper, and I actually found the article once. Ooh. Yeah, I need to find it. That's interesting. Yeah. He had quite a mustache, I'm saying. Yes. Okay, That's, if you're that is... if you're on the images, look at the um this the third picture, the cartoon panel one of the the man shrugging. That just makes me giggle. <laughs> oh, I love that. Why is that so funny? I don't know. The one policeman with his hands on his hips, like, what do you mean you got burgled? The guy's I don't like, know. I don't know. I just got burgled. I don't know, man. Oh, so should we tell people? Why is that so funny? Yeah. Should we tell people where they can find us? Oh, yeah, I think so. We could do that. You can find us on Twitter at PFABMonsterPod. You can also find us on Instagram at TrulyFabulouslyMonstrous. And that's also the name of our Gmail, TrulyFabulouslyMonstrous at gmail.com. 
And then tune in next week where Patty will be telling the cryptid and I'll be telling the true crime. I haven't decided what I'm doing yet. I've already decided what I'm doing. It'll be an adventure. (laughs) I was going to be like, you'll know what I know. (laughs) All right. So, uh, yeah, tune in next time to hear my absolute thrilling true crime. You're you're thrilling. Okay, tune in next time for my truly thrilling cryptid. I'm getting myself confused. (laughs) All right. We'll be there. We hope you will, too. Bye. Bye.